You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 039419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen the anarchist woolless week australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse listen to analysis of local national international events listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else welcome to anarchist world this week broadcast across australia via the community radio network Network. my name is joseph toscone hosting today's program i'm pleased to tell you that our producer kelly whitworth is from the northern regions. That's all I can say. She was on a secret mission for the anarchist world this week at 4 Z in Melbourne. Hello, 4 Z listeners. Brisbane, yes, 4 Z in Brisbane. I've lost my marbles. All right, anarchos, anarchy, anarchos, without rulers. It's not without rules, it's without rulers. Now, I've got a very important question I want you to ponder today during the program. Are you willing to sacrifice your children for your country? Hmm? Because things are escalating. A little bit of provocation from the US president turning up in Kiev in the Ukraine. A little bit of pushback from the uh, arch dictator, Mr. Putin, in Russia. The sabres are rattling. Now, those of you who think that this is something new, I suggest you go back and have a look at George Orwell's 1984, where the whole purpose was to have this constant warfare, constant confrontation, in order to keep people on side. Because we need an enemy, don't we? I mean, we're not human beings, are we? We're just different people. You know, we're Russians and we're Australians and we're... Chinese and we're communists and socialists and capitalists. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because sooner or later, the way things are going, and I don't think I'm exaggerating, you are going to be asked that fundamental question that every state asks its citizens when it's involved in confrontation with another nation's state. And that is, are you willing to sacrifice your children for your country. 
I'll repeat it again. Are you willing to sacrifice your children for your country? And the question normally is yes. People say yes, yes, yes. Now let's look at this question. And the fundamental thing is your country. Your country. We, we are told we live in a three world, F-R-E-E world. That somehow representative democracy, the act of giving a representative a signed blank cheque to make decisions for you for the next three to four years, despite the fact that a parliamentary agenda is actually not set by the parliamentary representatives, but by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Big words, aren't they? But it's very simple. It's exceptionally simple. Is it your country? And I'm not talking about the fact that, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders were here before us, thousands, tens of thousands of years before us. But this concept that somehow it's our country. And I think to myself, our country. What are we three to do in this society? Well, we're three to walk up and down the street. We're three to look in shop windows, but unless we've got, you know, the necessary monetary, um, ad, you know, advantages, you can't purchase anything. You're three to sleep rough because you can't afford a home. You're free to rot in your old age with minimal support from the state. You're free to hate your neighbour. That's a really good one, you know, because that's the one that keeps us together, isn't it? Our hatred for each other because of our different sexual orientation, our different racial origins, the language we speak, our skin colour, what we look like, you know, whether we're Collingwood or Carlton supporters, you know. We're free to hate each other. We're free to go bankrupt. We're free to be exploited. That's right. A lot of freedoms. Your country. Well, what I suggest you do is you leave, you leave your wallet at home, including all your cards and your phone, all right, and wander the streets and see who's interested in you. If you haven't got that ability to be involved in a monetary exchange. So it's not our country. It is not our country. 1% of the population owns approximately 46% of the wealth and 40% of the population owns about 1% of the wealth in this country. So when they ask you to sacrifice your children for your country, and they're not asking you to sacrifice your children in order to maintain that property you own to be part of our society. They're asking you to sacrifice your children in order to maintain the status quo. And what is the status quo? What actually is the status quo? And the status quo is very simple. I've been around a long time and you learn very quickly what the status quo is. It's very simple. The status quo is based on the fact that people who work hard, pay their taxes, 
obey the law, meet their financial obligations of fools in a capitalist society. We are treated as human garbage. I'll give you an example you can see every day. You're loyal to a corporation, you're loyal to a financial institution, you've had your mortgage with them for 30 years and you're still paying it off. And guess what? There's a new ad. Join us. Join us and we will give you such and such an interest rate, much lower than the fools that are still with us. Because, see, there's no... There is no thanks for loyalty when you're involved in a commercial transaction with a financial institution. There is no thanks for loyalty when you're involved in a transaction with the state. So really, is it your country? Are we really three? Freedom is based on two concepts. It's based on the concept of being involved in the decision-making processes that affect your life. And, it's in, and, it's, and it revolves around the, the idea that we have access to the common wealth. Not because we own things, but because we are a member of that society. You cannot have freedom if you don't have financial freedom, the ability to satisfy your basic human needs as a citizen or a permanent resident. You cannot have freedom. It's an illusion. And that's what capitalism, private investment for private profit model, is all about. It's about this illusion that somehow we live in a three society. It's that illusion. And for them to think that we are stupid enough to be happy to sacrifice our children for them is crazy talk. But that type of talk is the talk that we are being faced with every moment of every day today as tensions escalate. As the US and its little ally, the Australia, go about wandering the planet thinking that somehow that they have something, we have something to teach everybody else. It's an extraordinary state of affairs. And to see the president of the USA turn up in the Ukraine, if that's not a provocation, I don't know what is a provocation. Now, I've got no time for Mr Putin and his, you know, imperial ambitions. But I've got no time for the Ukraine being turned into a proxy war. Now, there are proxy wars around the planet, and they've been going on for ages. We had the proxy wars between the communists and the capitalists, and we saw it in Vietnam and Cambodia and Angola and Mozambique and the Congo, and the list goes on and on, and we saw tens, hundreds of thousands of people slaughtered for nothing. And now we're seeing this little proxy war in the Ukraine where people have been slaughtered for a flag, for 
to maintain the status quo, an unequal society. We've seen increasing militarisation around the world. People rat- rattling sabres, and it's not like the good old days in inverted commas, where you know you'd have to send millions of men to the front to bayonet, bayonet, bayonet uh, themselves. You know, you know, war is fought by workers rather than for bayonet. Those days have gone. It's about pressing a button and laying waste a city, destroying millions of lives, destroying land for generations. I mean, let's not forget. The only people in the history of the planet that have nuclear that have used nuclear weapons, and I'm talking about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, is basically the liberal democratic state. It hasn't been an authoritarian state, but the liberal democratic state. A calculated equation was how do we bring this war to an end quickly? Well, bomb Hiroshima but instead of waiting another week or two they waited three days and they bombed Nagasaki interesting so if you think liberal democracies are incapable of starting wars of being involved in wars of destabilising other communities think again think again look at this planet's imperial history and you'll see where we are today. The dilemma is that ultimately they need us. Whether we're Russians or Ukrainians or Australians or Chinese or come from Taiwan, they need us. Not just to fight their wars, but to believe their propaganda. That we need confrontation and we need war and we need, you know, to slaughter each other on the altar of Mammon. Because ultimately... It's not about our country. It's about maintaining a way of life that has impregnated us totally with the concept that every human interaction needs a monetary exchange. That's what this is about. It's not about personal glory. It's not about conquering territory. It's about convincing us that somehow some poor bastard living over there is somehow different to us and that because we've got a different flag or a different ideology that somehow we need to slaughter each other. And as long as we believe that propaganda and 99% of people in this country today believe the propaganda that somehow our liberal democracy, in inverted commas, is better than their type of government, then we will continue to face this dilemma. And it doesn't take much to push a button. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Now, it's interesting, you know. I've been looking at the coalition in opposition, led by Mr Dutton, And it looks like they've kind of taken a leaf out of Mr Abbott's book. And they think that the motivating force that they can use in order to 
you know, wind power again in a few years' time, is fear. That's right, fear. Fear of a voice to Parliament. Fear about the consequences of decarbonising the economy. Fear of the boat people coming back. Fear that the one that the one third of Australians and Social Security benefits are somehow rorting the system as if they've learnt nothing from robo debt. So it's fear, 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 fear. I haven't heard one positive policy. And that's a dilemma in this country. It's we trade on the politics of fear, not the politics of mutual aid, not the politics of working together to try to resolve the issues that we face as a community, but fear. It's palpable in the air. And you see it in the community. Fear of losing your job. Fear of not getting another contract. Fear of not being able to repay your mortgage. Fear of all those financial ab- obligations you've entered into, you know, collapsing around you and making you destitute. Fear of not receiving that government benefit because somehow you've done something wrong or they think you've done something wrong. Fear of being incarcerated if you're involved in protest activity. Fear of taking industrial action because we have all these laws in place which make which criminalise workplace action. And the list goes on and on. So this is a community which is based on fear. Now we're told otherwise. We're told, you know, this is a free society. You can do what you like and obviously you can dress the way you like. Does it really matter? You wear your hair the way you like? Does it really, really matter? You can live where you like? Does it really matter? So it's like this concept that we are involved in this constant warfare. You've got these three blocks, the Russian block, the Chinese block, the Western block, and they're involved in this constant warfare, whether it's psychological, whether it's physical, constant, 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 just to keep people, you know, alert, keep them separate, you know, learn to hate each other, and 50 years later, they're your main trading partner, and the list goes on and on. So... We, as a people, are ruled by fear. And what fear does, it prevents you from putting out feelers to other members in society. Because somehow, that's going to cause you issues. I mean, the only fear we should have is the fear that the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication dominate the parliamentary process and dominate the legislative agenda. The only fear that we should have is that the state in Australia is an exceptionally powerful instrument because there are no constitutional protections for, for the individual from the arbitrary exercise of state power. They're the fears we should have. Not the manufactured fears which somehow, somehow we think are crucial to our way of life. They're not.
they're not. And the dilemma is that while we live in a private investment for private profit world where every human interaction is monetized, it's difficult, very difficult, to look beyond those parameters as individuals and as communities. And it's no accident that over the last 20 to 30 years we've seen a decrease in the amount of people involved in community-focused organisations. And we hear so many community-focused organisations, whether it's a fishing club or a you know, community supporter or a neighbourhood house, complaining they can't get enough people interested in providing assistance or being part of that particular club unless there's some monetary reward for people. And the dilemma is we've now reached a, a stage in society in this country where the fear of somehow losing out, being kept out, having financial consequences rules every aspect of our lives and that's what makes us a very pliant population. Australians like to think themselves as Ned Kellys, you know, you know, Ned Kellys of the world. Well the fact is we're not. We're a very pliant people. Remember when they increased the pension age from I think it was 65 to 67? Not a peep out of the Australian people. A few idiots like you and me kind of complained. Not a peep. They tried to increase the pension age, I think, in France from 62 to 64, and you've seen hundreds of thousands of people on the streets. That's the difference between a pliant population and a population which somehow believes the state is there to protect their interests. I mean, the whole purpose of all those struggles which occurred during the 19th and 20th century were based on trying to change the trajectory of the state from an organisation which protected those that exercised power to an organisation which provided benefits and support for its citizens. And what we've seen over the last 50, 40 years, 40 to 50 years is privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation and deregulation, very big words, basically roll back all those gains or most of those gains that were won through the blood, sweat and tears of extraordinary people. Not ordinary people, extraordinary people who were not constrained by fear, who believed... The state had a responsibility to them, not to the 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and the communication and the 8% of Australians who were part of the investment class. They believed the state had a responsibility to them to provide health care, to provide education, to provide the basic necessities of life. But no, today it's all about the private sector providing those services on behalf of the state. And no wonder we see 50% of taxation revenue lost in administration fees and profits for those organisations. I don't want to go through the, you know, the litany of disasters that we've seen over the last 40 years you know, when this agenda's been used. And I'm going, to, I'm going to 
just to clarify things, I'm just going to clarify things because, you know, we use big words and a lot of people say, well, what does it mean? Because you need to understand is that most people in this country go about their lives, you know, the best way they can, pay their bills, pay their taxes, try to get on with their neighbours. You know, most people do that and they don't think beyond that. And it's not people's fault. People don't think beyond that because when you're surrounded by a corporate-owned media and a government girl at ABC, which moves from disaster from disaster, which have actually never looked at the reasons that things happen, but is happy to report what's happening, but never look at the reasons behind what things are happening, well then, you can't expect people to have a innate understanding of what's happening. What's corporatisation? Big word corporatisation, I don't think I can even spell it. It's very simple. It's when we have a handful of corporations dominating the major aspects of our existence. Whether it's the financial sector, whether it's the private education sector, whether it's the aged care sector, it's the early childhood development sector, whether it's the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, it's about these corporations dominating. And what we have in this country is we have no antitrust laws, which means corporations get as big as they like and they get to a stage where they become unapproachable. You cannot regulate them, irrespective of whether you've put regulations in Parliament to actually ensure that they don't rip people off, exploit people. So that's what corporatisation is. Find a hardware shop today. If you live in a large urban centre, you're not going to find a hardware shop. You're going to find one corporate brand. Even when you go to your local general practitioner, 40% of general practices are now owned by four medical companies, and it's worse than radiology and pathology. So that's what corporatisation is. It's about allowing small business to wither on the vine while talking about that we all, you know, government supports small business in the engine room of the economy. Nobody, nobody gives a shit about small business. You know that and I know that. 90% of small businesses fail within five years. And those that do really well are gobbled up by these corporations who don't want any competition. I'll give you an example in the financial sector. Remember a few years ago when there was a Royal Commission to the banking sector? And we heard some of the most outrageous, outrageous testimony by victims of the financial sector. How many people have been prosecuted? None. And remember when the heat was on, the banks said, oh, the big four banks said, oh, let's give the little people, that's you and me, the ability to use their cards in our ATMs, and we won't charge them a $2 fee if it's from another bank. We all went, whoop-de-doo, whoop-de-doo, aren't they wonderful? Guess what, today, they've outsourced that, many of the big banks, and if you go to an ATM which is actually not located on a shrinking number of banks, you will find that we're back to the old story. You belong to a particular bank, you don't get charged fees. If you don't, $3 basic fee to take out 20 bucks. Hmm? Is that usur usury? 
Think about it. So that's what I'm saying. That's what corporatisation is. What's globalisation? Well, globalisation is very simple. You look around the world, you find some place where there are no trade unions, where workers are nothing more than disposable pieces of garbage, commodities. You can pay them a dollar a day. So what do you do? You uproot your manufacturing or your service providers and you take them to those countries. That's what globalisation is. You look around the world to exploit those that are exploited the most so you can actually make a bigger profit. Very simple. And they call it free trade, you know, three trade. <laughs> yes, free trade, which is actually based on the exploitation of people who are already grossly exploited by their governments in the corporate, and, and, and the corporate sector. And, and Australian companies have been experts at this. And people realised how bad things were when the COVID-19 pandemic began in 2020 and we could, didn't even have enough masks or gloves because they weren't made in this country. But, uh, that's what globalisation is about. It's very simple. It's about finding the cheapest, most exploited labour anywhere in the world and further exploit them to maximise profits in first world countries, in inverted commas. Then you've got privatisation. My favourite, my favourite. So what is privatisation? Fancy word, isn't it? Privatisation. P-R-I-V-I-T-I-S-A-T-I-O-N. It's interesting how they all end in I-O-N. Privatisation. Well, remember when I spoke about the 19th and 20th century when workers and, you know, community folk sacrificed, sacrificed, blood, sweat and tears, forced the state to take an interest in them. Through protests, through revolutions, through reformist movements, they forced the state to take an interest in them, the little people. And the state was forced to provide services, whether it was health, whether it was education, whether it was essential services, and they were owned by the state, which was us, theoretically, us. Although, as we've seen in the last 40 to 50 years, public assets are not owned by the people. They are owned by the government of the day, which has, for a variety of ideological reasons, virtually given away some of the most important public assets in this country. And that's what privatisation is. When you reverse what's happened, when you give essential services, like water, to the private sector, Energy, private sector, aged care, private sector, early childhood development, private sector, national disability insurance scheme, private sector, education, private sector, health, private sector. Extraordinary. I mean, the most extraordinary one, in my opinion, is the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory. Extraordinary, important, state-owned entity, Created in 1911 to produce vac vaccinations for Australians. Privatised in the mid-1990s by Mr Paul Keating, who everybody seems to love. For, a, I think, about hundred, it was about $220 million. Today it's worth billions, if not trillions of dollars. Uh, 
Commonwealth Serum Laboratory. Privatisation, that's what privatisation is about. It's about giving away hard-earned assets. Assets that, one, provided a profit, which went back to the Treasury, which was used for the benefit of the Australian people, not which went back to shareholders and used for the benefit of shareholders as we see today. Two, it provided an essential service, which couldn't be manipulated by the private sector, as we see in the gas industry today, to maximise their profits at the expense of you know, local consumption. And three, what it did is it provided competition. And this is what people don't seem to understand. You've got four major banks and a few little banks in Australia today who dominate the financial sector. When the Commonwealth Bank was government-owned, it provided a break on the extortion which we see, which is promoted by the private financial sector. It's nothing more than extortion if you look at the current interest rate hikes and how every little bit, you know, is transferred to the customer. While, as far as deposits are concerned, we don't see the same rises in interest rates as far as deposits are concerned, do we? So it's extortion. Now, while the Commonwealth Bank was there in public hands, it provided real competition in the marketplace. Today, there is no competition in the marketplace, in the financial sector or the aged care sector, where the cooperative sector has been squeezed out, where the community-owned sector has been basically slaughtered. So again, that's what privatisation... What's deregulation? Well, they call it red tape, green tape. Well, regulations are put in place by governments to protect communities and individuals from exploitation. So let's remove these regulations so that we can maximise our profits for shareholders. And that's the difference. When something is publicly owned... We are all shareholders and we all profit or lose. But it's everybody. When something is privately owned, it's only the owners or if they've been listed, the shareholders which enjoy the profits. We may get a bit of taxation revenue as a community, but that's it. So they're the, what the, the big four, you know. There's a, used to be, I don't know if they still have, they used to have a big five in game hunting. You know those great hunters with big rifles used to shoot elephants and rhinoceroses and oh, I've forgotten what else, lions and tigers and the big thing was to get the big five. And if you got the big five, you're a big game hunter, you know. You'd kill things with, you know, with this high-powered rifle from hundreds of metres away. Somehow you're some type of hero. Well... We have the big four in this country and around the world. Corporatisation, globalisation, privatisation, deregulation. And ultimately, it's very easy to blame the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication. And it's very easy to blame the corporate media. And it's very easy to do all that. But the dilemma is that we as a community, not all of us, but most of us, were sucked in by the rhetoric that public is bad, private is good, 
and we continue to see the same garbage spewed out at our, our parliamentary representatives at the state and federal level, day in and day out. We see in Victoria, the Victorian state government, which is riding high currently, doing everything it can to privatise the public housing sector, wash its hands of any responsibility to provide accommodation for its people. And so we fell for the propaganda. We fell for the demutualisation of mutual societies which had been formed in the 1890s which provided service for members. We fell for the trick that somehow, if we let a thousand flowers bloom, that somehow, this is economically, that somehow we would all profit. Ultimately, it's illusory. To create a society which is based on the satisfaction of manufactured human needs is totally illusory and we are now, as a people, paying the price as far as the climate emergency is concerned. Well, I could go on and on and I'm sure you're bored shitless, but I think the important thing is that we need to understand what's going on around us. I mean, I see the anarchist world this week as a vehicle, you know, where we can cut through the misinformation, the disinformation, you know, the lies, the weasel words, the garbage that goes on. I'll give you an example. The Paul Australian Securities and Investment Commission, right? You may never heard of it, ASIC. Look, they were set up by the government. you like this. They were set up by the government to actually ensure that competition continues to exist in a corporate-dominated economy, okay? And they were set up by the government as a sop to us fools. Yeah, you and me, we're the fools. Uh, I'm a bigger fool than you are, because I'm talking and you're listening, so I'm the bigger fool. They were set up, you know, to regulate, to keep them honest. Well, the dilemma is, guess what? The legislation which was passed for the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, ASIC, you know, these two organisations which are supposed to keep an eye on the corporate sector and make sure they don't, uh, you know, exploit us. The legislation was vague, exceptionally vague. So it was no threat to these organisations. And on top of that, they are grossly underfunded grossly underfunded and that's why we see minimal prosecutions which are launched in the judicial sector regarding corporate behaviour. So these are organisations who have been set up to fail because the government of the day didn't really want them to actually ruffle the feathers of the corporate sector because the great thing we're all worried about is a Flight of capital from the country, which means, in plain English, a financial strike where we are starved of capital in order to bring us back to heel. Think about it. So, it's, it, it goes on. It's even, it gets, it's even worse. Now, I... You know, look, the new Labor government, it does a few things in the margins, but occasionally, or very often I've noticed, it shoots itself in the foot. Now, Mr Chalmers, 
I don't know if he, I think he's the treasurer. I can't remember who he is, you know. But I try not to remember these things. Talked about, you won't, you're going to laugh this, you're going to laugh this. He talked about uh, reforming the superannuation system in order to create retirement with dignity. You like that? Retirement with dignity. Now, superannuation is the biggest con that this country has seen since it was introduced in the 1990s. Basically, in a nutshell, it's the privatisation of old age. Instead of the state looking after you after a lifetime of work and contribution, you look after yourself using your own money, which the state gives to a private organisation to invest on your behalf. Okay, That's what superannuation is. It's nothing more than that. All right? Now, Mr Chalmers is going to, you know, make a few changes at the margins. But let's look at this. Let's, let's be realistic. Let's look at this. This is what I talk about, weasel words, misinformation, disinformation. Right. The only people who benefit from superannuation are people in the paid workforce. It's very simple. It is a mechanism via which, I think it's 11% or 10%, and it's going up to 12% soon, of your income is paid by the employer to a private business, right, on your behalf, that's usually reinvested, half of it's reinvested in the share market, right? That's what it is. That's what it is. But the funny thing is, this is, this is, this is, this is where people don't seem to understand. The funny thing is that if you're not part of the paid workforce, if you're unemployed for a period of time, if you, tame, if you take time out to look after children, if you're a single parent with lots of responsibility who can't work full-time, if you're a part-time worker, if you get sick, right? if you earn a low wage the amount of money which goes into your superannuation account is nil or minimal. So when you reach retirement age, for a few years you look after yourself and then the state takes over. But, but, if you work full-time in a nice cushy job, say for the public service or some corporation, you can get a huge tax advantage as far as the superannuation scheme is concerned. The more money you put in, the greater your tax advantage. So if you work in, an, in a job where it exploits other people's labour and you're making hay while, well, say, the sun is shining, we'll talk about the 9% investment class, what that means is at the end of that period, you can live the life of Riley. But if you are an unskilled or semi-skilled worker earning the basic wage or a little bit above the basic wage and you have no disposable income, your, your 
cactus. So the superannuation scheme is a scheme which is has been created to reward those who can work full-time and who earn the most money and punish those people who take on the primary care of looking after children or who, who, who are sick, who are not able to work for a variety of reasons. That's a significant amount of the population. Now, if you really want to have retirement with dignity, Mr Chalmers, and not that Mr Chalmers would bother listening to the anarchist world this week, he's got more important things to do, you would be talking about introducing a universal basic income, UBI, universal basic income. A universal basic income gets rid of all the myriad of social security payments. It gets rid of half of the bureaucracy, which can be redeployed in more useful tasks like, you know, emergency services. It gets rid of the need for superannuation. Now, those of you who are saying, Joe, you're dreaming. You know, like the castle. Joe, you're dreaming. Well... I'm not dreaming. What is the point of having a sovereign nation state which wants you to sacrifice your children to maintain the status quo, the inequalities which are inherent in the status quo, unless that state is willing to ensure that you, during your lifetime, have the ability to survive without joining the paid workforce. Not prosper, survive comfortably. So, how are you going to fund it, Joe? How are you going to fund it? Well, you don't need blood in the streets. I'm not talking about the Paris Commune, whose 152nd anniversary will... um, occur on the 18th of March next month, a few weeks' time. I'm not talking about the Paris Commune, where the bodies were piled up, 30,000 were slaughtered, piled up, burnt. The stench covered Paris for weeks of burning human flesh. People were executed for nothing but trying to exercise what few fundamental rights they believe they had. I'm not talking about that. All you need is a bit of legislation through Parliament. A Parliament which somehow thinks a voice to Parliament is some type of, you know, criminal activity or some type of revolutionary act, you know. Minor reform. That's all it is, a minor reform. So how do we fund it, Joe? Come on, stop evading the question. Well, how about a 1% stock market turnover tax? You could raise $40 billion a year. So if every stock and share is bought and sold in this country, one cent goes to the Treasury. And as everything is electronic these days, ka-ching, 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 automatic. You could see it rise in the Treasury. Minimum of $40 billion a year. And that's not going to affect... People say, 
Oh, it's going to affect my superannuation payments. Well, it's not at the end of the day because if you've got a universal basic income, you don't need superannuation. You don't need old age pensions. You don't need unemployment benefits. You don't need single parents benefits. You don't need student allowance. It's a universal basic income. And those people who are in the paid workforce pay it back through the taxation system. That's one way. Next one. How about a 1% financial transaction tax for any organisation that has a turnover of more than, say, $2 million? Ka-ching! Another $120 billion into the uh, kitty. Brilliant. You know, you pay goods and services tax, don't you? It doesn't matter how poor you are or how rich you are, you pay your 10% of goods and services tax. And uh, in this country, kind of it's incorporated into the system. You hardly ever see it. Now, businesses can claim a lot of that back because of expenses, you know, goods and services. They claim the goods and services tax back. Well, why don't we pass a law that any corporate corporate corporation or individual business that has a turnover of more than five more than five million dollars a year cannot reclaim that goods and services tax. Kaching another seventy to eighty billion dollars and then you've got enough money to pay for a universal basic income, three up the public service to do good work for the community instead of just, you know, crunching numbers and trying to find private organisations to provide public services at extraordinary costs, you know, to the taxpayer at the state and federal level. These are simple concepts. But again, they do take... It's, they're important in the way we think about things. While we worship mammon, while we think there is no other way to exist, while we believe that every human transaction needs to have a monetary component to it, while we think we live in a three society when we don't actually have economic freedom, we may have some basic human freedoms, better than some places in the world, but no economic freedom, we will continue to support the same system. And we are finding that as we age, that this could be the first generation in our history which has gone backwards in terms of receiving or obtaining or been involved in processes and decision-making processes which benefit us as a people, not a minuscule section of society which we have allowed to dominate not only the economic system, not only a parliamentary system, most importantly at all, dominate our thinking. We don't all have to march to the same drumbeat. Occasionally, a drummer veers off in a different direction, and that's what we are doing here in the Anarchist World this week. We are saying there are other ways, collectives, 
cooperative, mutual aid societies. There are other ways of organising society. Hold wealth in common. Use it for the common good. Concentrate on satisfying real, not manufactured human needs. Ensuring that basic human needs are incorporated into the framework of society through a universal basic income. And the list goes on and on. Because if we had a revolution today, I can assure you that I can give you 100% guarantee that the society that would come out of that revolution would be even more authoritarian and unequal than the one we have today. Because of the thinking that we as a society follow, the thinking that we're involved in this constant warfare between good and evil, the good guys and the bad guys, the thinking that somehow somebody has got a different race or a different colour or a different religion or a different sexual orientation or a you know, different gender somehow are the enemy, you know? While we continue to think in this way that only the, pri only the private sector can provide efficient services, and that's the biggest furphy of them all. If we look at the d disaster in the privatised aged care system, what's happening in the privatised early childhood development system, what happens in the privatised healthcare system, and the list goes on and on just extraordinary. While we continue to think in that way and don't think in other ways, and I don't blame people for not thinking in other ways because you're not going to hear this stuff anywhere else. You may hear it in one or two places, but you're not going to hear this stuff anywhere else. You're not going to hear that we don't have to you know, march to the same drum beat, that we have to follow that mantra of private investment for private profit. So... I asked you at the beginning of the program, are you willing to sacrifice your children for your country? I hope you've got an answer. And if you, the answer is no, welcome to our community. You've been listening to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can go to the websites, pipsy.net. You can join online, info at pipsy.net, or go to pipsy.net and join online. Public interest before corporate interest. YouTube channel, public interest before corporate interest. The good thing is that first uh, lecture we did last week on Tanamino Mulborhina has been videotaped. And it will be available on the Tanaminawaya Mulborhina Commemoration Committee next week. We've uh, updated our Facebook presence for that particular organisation. On the 15th of March, there will be a public meeting if you're in Melbourne at the Footscray Hotel at 54 Hopkins Street on what does the 1871 Commune have to do for Australia in 2023 and the not-so-esoteric links between the Paris Commune and Australian radicalism, which I'll be hosting, and hopefully that'll be videotaped also for prosperity. I hope to do 10 presentations on pivotal moments in Australian radical history which have changed the course of this country's history. And the fact is, we are the people. We are the people we've been waiting for. Nobody else, we. Thank you. Listen to the Anarchist World this week 
on your local community radio station next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.